0: Hey everybody, Ben Nelson, the Everyday Real Estate Investor here. I am excited to come to you with another episode of the podcast here because I have an awesome guest today. Uh, today we're going to be talking to Kevin Bupp, CEO of Sunrise Capital Investors. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the things that he's investing in and, and his story and his journey. So Kevin, I uh, appreciate you being here on the show.
1: Oh Ben, thanks for having me. Excited to be here.
0: Awesome. Well, I I always start with kind of you know everybody's. Gone on a journey in their real estate investing. So, give us a little bit of context, some background on how you got into real estate in the first place, and, and what what gave you that real estate bug, and, and what are, what are some of the experiences you had, kind of just getting into the game.
1: Yeah, great great question. And um, you yeah, know, so I'm I'm 44 now. I uh, got introduced to real estate when I was 19, and I bought my first property when I was 20. And so I've been been at this now for for over two decades. I uh, I always joke and say that. Your real estate kind of found me. I didn't find it. And so I'm very grateful uh, that, that it tracked me down at that early age. But really, it came by means of a mentor. Uh, well, a gentleman that became my mentor. It just had I met him through a girl I was dating at the time. Um, he was a local real estate investor, you know, about double my age. Uh, so I'd been at it for a number of years. And um, just, uh, we, we, we grew a friendship outside of real estate, uh, just, he was a pretty cool guy and, and, uh, we hung out a little bit, learned what he did, uh, which was very different than what, what my parents did growing up. My parents had the typical nine to five, you know, good, hardworking, um, you know, d- dual working household. And, um, long story short, uh, after getting an understanding of what, what his name was David, what, what he did, uh, again, just to open my eyes up to, you know, outside the box options, th- things that I didn't really think were, were, you know, uh, you know in my, in my future. And his lifestyle is very different. He had a lot of flexibility he Drove different vehicles. My parents drove, you know, lived in a very different type of house, this, that, and the other. Right. And, mm-hmm. um, he, uh, you know, he invited me to a real estate event, um, back when I, you know, probably within the first few months of meeting him, it was a three-day event that his business partner was supposed to go to. He couldn't. So he invited me to come, it was already paid for, and I went and that was it. Like that was the, that was the catalyst. That was what really opened my eyes up to, to the opportunities, more so to meeting other people that were doing really big things. In my eyes, they were huge things. And it could have just been wholesaling a house and making a $10,000 wholesale fee. Like that was huge to me. You know, do that a couple of times a year. Like that That was right. just uh, right. it was just outside my realm of thinking. And um, so that was the start of it. That was really the, the jump off point. But I, I didn't buy anything when I came back. At that point, I was literally going to school, um, local community college. I was tending bar in the evenings, you know, making my way. And I would basically just you know try to be around David as much as possible in between those times. And I, I finally, after a couple of weeks after we got back from this the this, this, this seminar, I knew that if I didn't if I didn't figure out a way to really get my my fingers into this 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 real estate thing, if I didn't get my arms around it, that I would probably I'd, I'd lose interest as it dwindled away, and 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 I would just shove it under the rock and never come back to revisit it. And so I I kind of went out on a limb. I just asked David if. Um, if I could come work for him for free, you know, whatever it was, he was a solopreneur. So he didn't have a team really. He had some contractors he worked with and and a few other resources that he relied upon. But like, he was very much a solopreneur kind of running the day to day of what he did and dealing with tenants directly and things like that. And so um, I saw him struggle with technology and I knew that was an area that could probably help him out a little bit. Um, and so I basically just, again, I, I put myself out there and asked if I could work for him for free and whatever he needed, whatever I could add value, whatever he needed, I would be there in between you know, uh, school time and, and working at the bar in the evening. So I'd work late, wake up really early in the morning, go spend some hours with him, go to class, come back after class, go to work in the evening. And, uh, and I did that for, for over a year. And, and I did it long enough to where I got an understanding of his business model, why he did what he did, and just decided not to reinvent the wheel. And I bought my first property at the age of 20 and um, leveraged uh, some of the resources that he had introduced me to, one being a private lender. So I used all the money I saved up bartending, bought that first property. You know, got some debt put in place by this private lender. They helped fund the rehab cost, and uh, there we have it. That was at the age of twenty. Um, although very quickly Ben, I realized that his business model was basically buy and hold. Like that's what he did. He was a buy hold investor. Owned a lot of single family and small multifamily. But he bought, did some you know not over the top renovations. Uh, made them nice. Made them kind of renter proof. And then he would just hold them for the long term. Well, I realized that that measly a couple hundred dollars a month of cash flow after I rented out this unit I had renovated it was gonna take me a very long time to save enough enough money again to actually be able to uh, you know buy that next property and just keep everything and so i just at that time I morphed it to you know buy you know flip two buy one keep it flip two or three buy one keep it and mm-hmm. i did that for a number of years and, and and was able to build quite a significant portfolio of single-family properties um in my early to mid20s and then uh transitioned uh, at some point in my mid-20s over to Commercial real estate. Just looking at the bigger picture. Are there some you know bigger opportunities out there? And um, and anyway, just I'll stop there because uh, I'll, I'll tend to ramble for another ten minutes if you let me. And so I've done a little <laughs> no bit of problem. everything. No. I've owned hundreds of single family properties. I've owned multifamily, office, um, uh, uh off, um, um, retail, self storage, uh, medical office. We own parking now, mobile home parks, what have you. So I've done a, a lot of everything over the 20 years, but I'll stop there for any clarifying questions.
0: <laughs> yeah, no that's, no, that's great. I appreciate the background. And I, I think there's several things in there that are, that are really key that I just kind of want to, they, they may seem obvious, but they're, to me, they're, they're key points in, in finding success. And that is number one, recognizing something that's an opportunity. You know, you, you hey, this person is doing something different right? That, that I haven't really seen before, but look at what they're doing and they're they're successful. How do I tap into that? Um, number two, making sure you're basically finding a way to hold yourself accountable, right? Like, like, Hey, if I don't put myself in a position where I'm going to be around this, I'm just going to like put it on the bookshelf and it's going to gather dust. Right. And then number three, offering value. Right. So, you know, you try to find a mentor and you go, Hey, you know, I want to take, I want to learn. And you just come in as a taker. Um, you know, people aren't people are willing to share that are successful, but they but they want you to bring something to the table, right? Because yeah. they're busy, right? They've got lots of things going on, and so you're coming from this. Hey, how do I how do I bring value to this person, where I can glean glean from their experience, but I'm actually leading with value versus leading mm-hmm. with like I'm just going to take take information and, and go use it for my own. So right. I, I think those are just like key, to me, those are key components of of success overall. Are um, those types of things and that kind of mindset and attitude. So I just kind of I didn't want to I didn't want to brush over those without kind of pointing those out. So no, um, I think it's an
1: important note. I mean, I tell you that what I say again, just if I'm speaking to anyone that's listening out there, that's maybe just getting started and maybe having done their first deal yet. You know, they're kind of the, in the exploratory phase of, of their journey, learning about the different ways to make money investing in real estate, you know, I, I get a lot of inquiries, um, folks just reaching out. Like, can I pick your brain? Can I pick your brain? I, that gets asked, it gets asked so many times. And, and I love, I love to help. Don't get me wrong. Like I, I love to help others. Um, I love to, you know, through the podcast, through conversations, through different networking events, I love to get back, but there's only so many hours in the day. Right. And, right. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, I think that you know, the, the word of, of, of advice for those individuals that are getting started that want to, you'll glean some expertise from someone else that's already been there and done it. Cause that's who we want to learn from, right? We want to learn from someone that's been there and done that they've been through the, uh, the ups and downs, figure out how you can add value to them in their business. That's it. Like lead with value. Like first and foremost, lead with value. Don't, don't take right from the gate. Don't have that you know that you know, give me a mentality, have the, let me help you. Let me, let me add value to you in your business and help you grow. And then hopefully in return, you'll help me on my journey. So just, yeah, uh, absolutely. I think it's a yeah, simple mistake think- a lot of people make.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think I mean, and again, it, it depends on who you're talking. But I've even heard I can't remember who said it, but it's like it's it's so true. You offer, hey, I'll take you to buy you coffee, I'll buy you lunch. Well, you know that's great, but is you know is that, is it a twenty dollar lunch? Is that a fair exchange? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, every like, especially what what are you getting in return for a twenty dollar? That's right lunch. Um, so you got, you got to weigh that out. What What is the, is the exchange fair for what you're asking them to provide to you and $20
1: uh, lunch in an hour of time, probably. Right. 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 And so your hour <laughs> of time is
0: probably worth more than 20 bucks. Right. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> with, the, so with everything you're doing, so, um well, let's get into that. So you talked to, we talked about how you started, um you know, like a lot of people kind of just got introduced to it, started with some, you know, kind of basic concepts of investing, um, you know, some flips, some buy and holds, um, maybe some, I don't remember if you mentioned wholesaling, but that's where a lot of people start also. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then, and then took that and expanded on it and wanted to scale basically to something that was a little bit bigger. So commercial and all of those things and led to what you're doing now, which is mainly mobile home parks. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you said parking, uh, parking garages and things like that, which is great. I've I've actually not talked to someone that does that. So that's, that's awesome. So talk about uh, maybe just pick one and then we can go into the other, cause there's probably some differences, right? So um, what brought you to looking at, I guess, both of those opportunities and and why those, and then what are you currently doing with those today? today? Yeah.
1: I, I, I've always, I've always considered myself an opportunist. I like to, you know, maybe seek out, you know, uh, opportunities where maybe others aren't looking kind of going against the herd and um, uh, you know, any of the things I've ever invested in, I never went out seeking them. Um, most of the time, it's been introduced to me by someone, um, you know, someone that's already been there and done that. They've spoke, you know, to the merits of whatever whatever asset class it was. And the same thing happened with mobile home parks. Honestly, mobile home parks, when I got introduced to it back in 2011, was actually an asset class that I had never considered up until that time. I'd owned again hundreds of single family properties, multifamily, um, some other uh, uh, miscellaneous commercial real estate, some industrial, and some office and some retail. Um, but I'd never ever considered mobile home parks. And I didn't know anyone that actually owned any mobile home parks, but um, as these things typically happen, I was introduced to a gentleman by the name of Randy. Randy had been a commercial banker for his 30 year um, career and, uh, my buddy was like, you need to meet this guy, Randy. He's like a retired banker. But he's just a cool guy. Like he lives, he's with you. Know, he lives 30 minutes away from you. You guys should meet for lunch. He's just a, you know, wealth of knowledge. And I think you guys will get along. Like that was it. So he made the introduction. Me and Randy had lunch mm-hmm. and I literally didn't know anything about Randy other than that. He was a retired commercial banker and had worked at uh, one of, a, a number of different, you know, large names uh, in the Tampa Bay area. And, but what I learned within the first you know, I guess thirty minutes of of talking with Randy after we kind of ex- exchanged some pleasantries of like, you know, who are you? What do you do? What do I do? This, that, and the other. Um, he retired from banking um and ended up buying three mobile home parks here in in, uh, in central Florida. And, you know, he basically went on to say that throughout his bank, at least in the latter half of his banking career, he had a, a number of clients that that owned mobile home and RV parks in Florida. And he had lent on a number of them. And so he got to actually get a better understanding of the, the business itself, understand the, you know, the financials, how these things live and breathe and how profitable they are. And he's like, well, heck, I, I know what I'm doing. When I retire. I'm going to take my, my, my retirement funds and I'm going to buy a couple of these. And these are going to be my retirement. And that's exactly what he did. So I'd met him, I think about two years after he had purchased those, those uh, three assets. and, I was so intrigued just, uh, you know, of all the, you know, things that he was telling, he was telling me about, about my home bars. I was like, gosh, I, I, I had to plan at that point in time to go scale multifamily. And I, and we skipped a part of my history in 2008, I lost pretty much everything. So there was a, from 2008 to 2011, I was through damage. I was going through damage control. I truly lost uh, everything. Even my personal residence went to foreclosure. I mean, it was, a, it was a, a pretty dark and rough time for a number of years. Mm. And so, yeah, yeah. I came uh, in 2011, it was kind of a, how the heck do I rebuild this? And I was on an exploratory journey of figuring out what is the most efficient way to rebuild this, but not do it one by one, one house at a time. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I I needed to figure out like, okay, I felt that pain, knew what that was like, but how do I do this um, in a more substantive manner and um, figure out a better, better path forward, at least for me. And Went on meeting people, and I met Randy, and he had mobile home parks, and he, he intrigued me enough during this period of time. And he also, you know, made a lot of comments, derogatory comments towards multifamily, as far as like, here's why mobile home parks are better than multifamily, right? And he, you know, <laughs> went on that the resident base is very sticky. They don't, when they own their home, that land, like they stay for, you know, sometimes decades, right? Um, you know the maintenance uh, and, and and overall day to day is a lot less in a mobile home park because you're not dealing with ACs that break or roofs that leak because the residents own the homes for the most part, not mm-hmm. all the time, but for yep. the most part. So yep. uh, that intrigued me enough during this 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 conversation with him, um, this two hour launch. It turned into that I was like, I'm gonna. I think this is something uh, and there was no good information out there that I could research. It was like one forum on mobile home park investing. And so I basically, I was like, I'm going to figure this out. And, and within the next 12 months, I'm going to buy a mobile home park. And remember, I, I had not bought, bought any other real estate on uh, three years. I pretty much had bad credit at that point in time, but I need to figure out a way to rebuild. And so I gave myself a year to, to figure it out. It took me about 14 months um, to actually buy that first mobile home park, bought it in Atlanta. Um, and this was back in 2012 and literally owned it up until like a year and a half ago. Uh, and that was the start of, it. I bought that first one. Um, it went well, better than planned, bought the second, bought the third, bought the fourth, but I think eight or nine until I you know, ran out of either. I didn't have much money, but friends, family, uh, immediate relationships that I had. Um, I'd proven the business model over a number of years and and ultimately at that point realized that, I had something special, I understood the business really well had a great a great amount of deal flow um and uh I needed capital and so that's when we you know formally launched sunrise capital investors uh, back in late sixteen early seventeen and uh have since went on to buy you know over two hundred you know twenty million dollars of, of mobile home park assets and um and continue to buy today so it's uh it's been a fun road it's been a very um you know, just not, not just fun, but lucrative, lucrative journey for not just us, but all, all of our partners involved. And it's been a great asset class. So the secret's out now, unfortunately, but, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the yeah, cat's yeah, out of absolutely. the bag, but
0: yeah, yeah. Well, it's so a couple so the, I also wanted, so I, I didn't realize that and I apologize for not get you know, bringing that up. Um, you know, but I think it was a good segue into that, you know, 2008 right we had a a lot of people had that situation that were that were doing really well yeah. in investing and then you know the the market just totally fell out the bottom fell out from it and and everybody a lot of people lost everything so but taking that and and kind of like that it sounds like that that was kind of the pivot point to you getting into mobile home parks and and had it not been it for that you may still just be doing the single family home gig, right? Because um, it was working for you. Yeah. So it's just interesting to me when I hear like, so because you take something that was like, you could label as a, as a bad situation, right? I'm sure it was very uncomfortable going through that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you but you saw it through the other side, number one, and number two, actually better opportunity came out of it. So I that's just think right. that that's, I mean, you, you got, when you're going through those rough patches, whether it's an economic thing, whether it's a personal thing, you know, there's there's another side to that. You just got to keep pushing. You got to figure it out and, and problem solve and and look for those opportunities. I, I truly feel those there's a make you look I, for those opportunities. Yeah,
1: I, I feel like there's always a silver lining, and and whatever we you know, whenever we're having bad moments or bad days, what have you, or b- bad things happen to us, I feel like there's always if we can you know kind of lift ourselves above that and there's always something positive that can come out of it or a lesson, a positive lesson that's learned um, from it. And so it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult when you're, you know, when you're dealing with it on, on that, you know, that given time frame. But like, normally I agree with you. I think that it, it took me a couple of years to realize that, but uh, yeah, something positive did come out of that. Again, the trajectory of time would have been changed if uh, I wouldn't have gone through that, you know, financial distress in 2008. So, and who knows what, yep. what path I would have chosen if, if any different one.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, but here you are now. So, um, now the other thing you just mentioned was about the cat being out of the bag, right? So for, I think when you got started, uh, we were, we were kind of starting to like, it was just kind of being found, so, so to speak, right? There's, yep. there's been these people that have known about this, uh, this niche of, of real estate for, you know, 40, 50 years. Cause they, they own them, right. And they've owned them for that long and, and they've been able to keep it kind of that secret. Right. Um, but, but people have found this uh, this avenue of creating um, cash flow in mobile home parks and so it's become a lot more uh, popular asset class uh, over the last five six you know eight or ten years right um, so talk about how if you've had to make any you know change and not only that the market in general has changed too so we'll touch mm-hmm. on that too but um, what have you had to do in your business if you know to pivot to kind of Make sure you're still competitive and and what have been like maybe some of the negatives or, and maybe the positives of, of that being the case where these are more popular now than they have been.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you know, the likes of, of, of Carlisle Group, Blackstone, you know, big institutional hedge funds, uh, you know, started buying in the space, you know, five, six years ago and, and, uh, they haven't slowed down. They've been, you know, really trying to pour billions of dollars into a space that, has a you know supply demand imbalance i mean there's just not there's no new supply coming in the market and so you're watching a consolidation occur you know right before our eyes it's happening very quickly Mm -hmm. and so while you know there's 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 pros and cons to big groups like that coming into the to the equation prior to big groups like that coming into the equation you know um it was just a lot of smaller investment groups a lot a lot of an, a lot of mobile home parks were owned by an owner that had just one you know it just it was a very fragmented industry um, you know they cash flow great um a lot of opportunity but not not a great opportunity on the exit side to sell at a you know compressed cap rate or sell to a professional investor you're just basically selling to another mom and pop and so you know, the pro of, of, of these different groups coming into the equation is like they look to buy at scale. And, uh, you know, if, if, if you have a portfolio to sell to a group like that, they will pay a premium for it, probably double the net of what a typical mom and pop might have paid seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years prior. So that's one benefit. But the flip side of that is, again, that's competition. Their cost of capital is, is traditionally cheaper than, than that of uh, the capital sources that we have. And so they can be a lot more aggressive um, with, with what they're willing to pay for, a, you know, for the same asset. And so so that poses challenges on the front side. If you, but if you can find them, which you can, I, I would tell you that a lot of these institutional groups, they don't like fixing problems. They like buying stabilized assets and they like buying portfolios of stabilized assets. They don't want to go in and have to fix everything. They don't want to buy a single you know 80 space mobile home park. I'm not saying they won't, but typically they don't want to buy problems. They want to buy a stabilized performing asset that, that they can dump you know 250 million dollars into a one fell swoop right like don't and there's smaller groups out there that that will take smaller chunks but generally speaking um they're not competitive in that manner like very rarely am i going up against them on a you know five million dollar mobile home park that we're buying very rarely but there are a lot of other buyers out there outside the institutional group so like there's just a lot of people in the space now um and i always like make the joke back when we when we start buying them i got to know kind of you know good old boys in the industry and it was kind of like if you knew you knew you didn't, you didn't like, don't talk to it about, you know, don't talk about the merits of mobile home parks to anybody. Like it was kind of like, shh, these things are great. Let's yeah, not, ha, let's ha, not ha, let ha. the cat out of the bag. Anyway, the cat got out of the bag. And so, you know, how we've been able to pivot um, or not even pivot, but just how we've been able to continue to operate and, and buy assets, buy quality assets is, you know, we've <clears throat> years ago when I was buying single family, I got really good at, at going off market direct owner. Like that's just, it became my forte. I got really good at the marketing side of things, at databasing, um, different markets, uh, not just markets, but also very specific assets that I would like to buy. And I would just literally uh, you know, pound away at them with direct mail, with cold calls. And I would document conversations that I've had and I'd follow up, follow up. We'd have different methods of follow up and and I found that that that, that had a very uh, solid conversion rate for, for me to be able to buy. And so I, I've always carried that over to any different types of real estate I've bought, and whether it be again, residential, commercial, um, whether it be self-storage, this that and the other. And I, the same thing applies to mobile home parks. So over the last 10 plus years that we've been buying parks, we've had an entire you know, team behind the scenes that have basically not just database the specific markets and parks that we would like to own based on size, the market that it's in um quality of park the set the other but also keep that list updated cuz obviously transactions happen but i we literally have a team that non-stop just like maybe a good brokerage firm does that literally just calls on park owners i've got parks we we bought a park at the end of last year that my first conversation was that with well, that guy was 8 years ago um and i've just continually and he owned it for 44 years his family and we ended up buying it never made it the market and we negotiated phenomenal terms on it. Uh, we bought a you know, somewhat of a quasi relationship over those years, and uh, and he wanted to sell it to someone he liked. You know, he wanted to get the price for it as well, but you know, we didn't have a competitive environment. And so, ninety percent mm-hmm. of what we bought, both uh, mobile home parks and parking, over the last ten years, have been off market, direct to owner, and so that's how we've been able to, <clears throat> um, you know, stay relevant and, and still be able to buy with a margin of safety. We always like to buy assets. With a buffer in there, you know, and and have some type of margin or safety, because at at the end of the day, one thing that I think we can all agree upon is that you, we all see pro formas, and I can promise you one thing is that that property is never it's either going to never going to meet that pro forma. it's either going to exceed it or it's going to fall short of it. But it's <laughs> sure as hell never going to be exactly what was set forth in that pro forma. And so we want that margin of safety in there in the event skeletons come out you learn some things about, does not perform as expected uh, that we still have a buffer in there. And so it's hard to do that when you're buying on market retail, when there's other buyers involved, like you basically are paying over market a lot of times in order to actually uh, you'll buy an asset. Yeah, We try to stay out of that, out of that world um, at all possible.
0: Yeah. And and there's so, yeah. Another couple of great points in there. Um, You know, this is still a relationship business, right? Absolutely. For the most part. you know, whether it's a listing or not, you know, the listing agent probably has some sort of relationship with the seller. And uh, you know what? So that's, you know, why don't you go build that relationship? It's a lot more work than just browsing Mm -hmm. through listing. You know, you have to have that consistency and you have to, you're not going to call a park owner one time and be like, Hey, you know, I'd love to chat with you about your, your property. Um, you know, you maybe you know, if you're super lucky, but for the most part, it's going to take building that relationship over time and being consistent. And, and, you know, you're, you're not going to hit that person like right when they're thinking about selling more likely than not. Right. That's so, right. The consistency, building that relationship. And like you mentioned, he want, you know, this person owned the one he mentioned, owned it for 40 something years that it is about the money, but it's also about that. I mean, that was, you know, that's their baby, right? That they is. probably They they sent their kids,
1: they sent their kids through school, their grandchildren through school, right? Like, like, you know, know, university and all that. And um, that was their, that was their family's income. Their kids grew up in the park. The kids helped. And it's a really, this park I'm speaking to, it's a really nice high end park. And so they got to know the residents in there. I mean, they saw residents come and go over the years. I mean, it's just, Mm -hmm. it was, it was intertwined into their being um, by that point. Yeah, exactly. And so I think it's,
0: yeah. And it's, I think it's important for a lot of owners to, To know that their assets going to be continue continue to be managed well, and that they know who's who they're handing it off to, right? So um, that relationship is is super important, Um, and I don't think that's ever going to go away. I mean, everybody, you know, you mentioned Blackstone, and yes, there's a place for some of these big, you know, hedge funds and and things like that. Um, There always will be, but um, you know. And you hear it in the brokerage industry as well, too. Like all these different things. Oh, brokers' jobs are going to be taken away. I don't see it. I just don't see it because I think there's always that relationship aspect. And yeah, maybe mm-hmm. certain aspects of the job or maybe if you're just lazy and not doing what you're supposed to be doing as a, as a broker or as someone doing what you're doing, then yeah, maybe you have something to worry about. But re- relationships are always going to be key, no matter what technology and all of that stuff is out there. And and no matter how many big buyers are out there, um, there's always opportunity. Um, But again, like, and then flip side of that is, there's potentially opportunity on the back end for that, right? You go out there, do the things that those big hedge funds aren't doing, these other big investors, you know, find an opportunity that um, they're not gonna be interested in, turn it into an opportunity that they're gonna be Mm -hmm. interested in, and now you can make money because they're looking at it from a different set of glasses, right? They That's want right. that stabilized asset. They're willing to pay a lower cap rate for it. That's how you create value that you can sell um, to one of those bigger buyers. That's
1: right. Exactly.
0: Yep. Awesome. Well, um, we didn't talk about, let's touch really quick. Um, not, I don't want to spend a ton of time on it, but um, I am curious about the parking garage thing and how, how you got into that and, then, and, and just some kind of basics of what, what that looks like alongside the mobile home park investing.
1: Sure. Yeah. No. That's that's a great topic to to talk to. And and again, as I'd mentioned earlier, I'm always I'm an opportunist. I love keep my eyes open. Uh, you know, I don't chase shiny objects, but I do keep my eyes and ears open for what I feel are are opportunities that you know uh, you know the crowd isn't running to at at this point in time. That that you know could be that way, and maybe you know five ten years they're out. And so I was um again as these things go. I, uh, I love on well, my podcast, I've been doing it for 10 years now. Um, I love every once in a while bringing on some like real niche type topics. For example, I did a whole series probably six years ago, seven years ago before car washes were like crazy. Like they are now I literally interviewed, I forget how many different car wash owners operators. I even, um, um, uh, there's a car car wash outfit based in the, uh, the Southeast, um, I think it's auto bell or something. Like and it's a, it, it was the largest in the, in the, in, in the country, uh, up until a few years ago, but anyway, I interviewed tons. I, that was intriguing to me, like car wash operators. I interviewed like a ton of like laundromat operators, like just exciting, mm-hmm. really nichey niche stuff, right? Um, and so one of those one of those nichey niche interviews was uh, a parking lot broker. Um, he was one of only three brokers in the entire U- United States that specialized only in selling parking assets, and he also owned a number of parking assets as well. That was intriguing. I had him on the show and it was one of those things where I got off the, I didn't know anything about the niche. I couldn't even do much research on it. Cause there wasn't much information out there. There's, mm-hmm. I didn't know yeah. anybody that owned a parking lot investment. And, uh, um, I was so intrigued after I hung up the phone with him after we stopped the interview that I just it never, never escaped my mind and um, ended up, my partner and I ended up attending a few different parking lot or parking conferences. There's a few national conferences that that go off each and every year to support that industry and and did that for a number of years, just really exploring the space more, just getting a better understanding of the business model, where the opportunity lies and probably spent about two and a half, three years doing that before we bought our first parking asset. Um, and, and, and really what we realized that it was a very fragmented industry, very similar to to that of what mobile home parks were 10 plus years ago, lots of mom and pop owners, um, lots of those, those owners that are lacking technology and are basically missing a lot of revenue opportunity by not implementing technology, you know, not implementing dynamic pricing on, on lots of garages that they own for events and and other types of events like that. Um, and so, you know, we uh, we dug a little deeper and, and bought that first parking lot. We bought a, a lot up in uh, Wilmington, North Carolina and downtown, a small little surface lot uh, right on a, a hard signalized intersection. It had been uh, run by a basically a mom and pop local real estate investor had his son running. It had no technology. It didn't accept credit cards and while all the, all, all the other private lots in the area accepted yeah, credit yeah. cards. This one didn't. <laughs> you know, it was two blocks from historic waterfront downtown right in the, in the restaurant row. but this, you know, the son would take, you know, uh, of cash and I don't even carry cash when we have the time. So I would have missed the parking opportunity. I would not have probably gone around the corner and park somewhere else. And so anyway, we realized that there was a ton of upside just by implementing a credit card machine. They're simply putting a credit card machine in place. Also instituting dynamic pricing, you know, changing the pricing of, of, uh, parking when events were present, when concerts were going on or events downtown there. Um, and also lowering the pricing when it was slow time, right? Like just having the ability to actually change Mm -hmm. it on the fly. Um, And also having parking enforcement, you know, uh, just put some lights in things like that, make it safer for people. And we bought that asset. um, uh, The the NOI, NOI, the the trailing 12 months was I think $38,000. And we, uh, we paid 695, but before we closed on it, we arranged a, triple net lease in place with a local operator, a very prominent operator that knew their business well um, for, uh, for, uh, I'm drawing a blank here. I think it was 70, $71,000 uh, triple net lease uh, for a five year triple net lease, $71,000. So, um, so right there, we bought it basically at a, at a um, unleveraged 10 cap. And I've gotten to know this operator that runs it now. He's a good friend of mine. He runs a pretty large parking operation and you know, he's given me some insights as to what that lot actually does with their enforcement, with their you know their you know professional operations. And um, the following calendar year, uh, this is 2022, um, that lot did a gross revenue of I think it was 139, give or take thousand dollars. It's a tiny little lot. So anyway, just wow. thirty eight thousand dollars from when we bought it. Yeah, from from what it was, mom and pop to, you know, a hundred, basically a hundred thousand dollars more just by instituting some professional. And then that might be an extreme value or extreme example to to use. Um, I'm not going to say it's going to happen all the time, but um, you know, we've done it time and time again. Uh, We bought an asset from the city uh, here in our backyard, city of Clearwater. It's down Clearwater beach. It was a city owned garage. Um, It had only been built five or six years ago. Cities are just bad business people. I mean, the, the, the price they were, what it cost them to build that to what they were charging for parking. You know, the average parking on the beach was um, on non busy times was $5 an hour. And on busy times, sometimes it was $40, like flat fee, uh, $40 or $50 flat fee. And they were, they built this beautiful parking garage and they were charging $2 an hour. And they were losing money every single year for every year that they owned it. And we took it over, it was only three bucks an hour and no dynamic pricing we immediately changed that instituted dynamic pricing um flat rate pricing for very busy weekends when the when the garage fills up and that we literally we 5x the revenue on the garage simply by just changing the pricing model it had nothing to do with like traffic i mean like literally the, the thing was busy it was busy in and out but people even locals that live there they would just park there and keep their car there all the time I mean, cuz it, it, they also it's right, 2 dollars yeah. an hour and they had they had like a maximum rate of like it was some ridiculous amount so like 12 dollars a day or something like that so people would just be like i'm just going to keep my I'm not going to leave my I'm going to leave my car there for the next 2 weeks you know i'm not going to move it right yeah <laughs> <laughs> so wow,
0: that's 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 pretty awesome i've never i've never even okay i can't say never because as an entrepreneur you always see something and it's like oh yeah that's probably i mean someone's making money on that so you know, it's kind of that whole, you, you mentioned not chasing the shiny object just, as an entrepreneur, you have to be careful of that. Right. But so I can't say I never thought about it, but um, I haven't put a lot of effort in it. That's a really interesting uh, little niche there um, that obviously can it's just, do very The whole well. idea
1: is just, just like we do. We, we find things that are mismanaged, right? Find things that, that are in great locations, great markets that are essentially you know, being run inefficiently. And, you know, we get, yep. that's how we make money, right? In real estate, we, get, we make money by solving problems. Identify yep. the problem, understand how to identify the problem, and then how you know what the solution is, and and execute the business plan, and, and there you have it. And, and that applies to what doesn't mean that that parking lots are better than any other asset class. I mean, you can you can execute that same business model in every sure. different types of real estate, right? Identify the yep. problem, understand what the solution is, and how to execute on it, and there you have it. It's the million dollar idea. Yep. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: Know your know your niche, right? Exactly. You know, know know what you need to do, and and um. And how, how do you take this from, you know, not producing like it, like it could be and, and, you know, maximize it. And every niche has its own, um, you know, way of doing that. Um, and so that's what, it's really what it is. You just, you know, learn your niche and, and, uh, figure out the ways to add that value and, um, go and find those opportunities and and you're going to be able to find them a lot easier if you know how to, how to underwrite those things and what the opportunities are. So. Awesome. Thanks for touching on that. I, I'm, I'm super intrigued by that myself. That's, that's a, seems like an awesome opportunity that I don't, it's not sexy, right? It's not sexy. Yeah. It's not like owning a big, you know, really cool looking apartment building or something like that, which a lot of those don't cash flow super well anyway. Right. Cause they're, you know, those, a, those, a buildings and, and things like that, they're, they don't cash flow as much, but yeah. you know, sometimes the ugly duckling is the, is the one that produces a little bit more Opportunity. The, sense.
1: The, the great thing about parking, and I'll leave it at I'll leave, this, this one last point for folks to kind of think about is like, at least as it relates to like a, a surface parking lot in a, in a desirable location, it will never have a lesser value than what it does today as a asphalt or gravel parking lot. It never will. It'll only have a higher value whenever that land becomes more valuable because it's got redevelopment opportunities. Um, yeah. So if you can buy it today and have the numbers make sense um, as a flow and covered land play in a growing area, in an area where parking is diminishing as well because now what's happened is a lot of cities won't allow you to, you you can't just build strictly parking. Like if you said, hey, I've got this vacant grass lot and I want to turn it into a gravel parking lot. Most cities won't allow you to do it because they think parking is ugly. And most of the time it is because over time, parking lot owners let their parking lots get potholes and the lamps go out they're not safe and crime happens there same with parking garages um so if you can buy a good asset that's that's in place that's got upside and you can buy it for numbers that makes buy it for a number that makes sense with the uh, in-place income or potential value-add income and hold it for the long term and know that it's going to be worth something more at a later date whether it's 5 10 15 20 years as the other parking lots go away and get redeveloped you know there's only so much land <laughs> you can't make it. You yeah, can't make exactly. more of that. So,
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that, and I think that dovetails in with the opportunity with uh mobile home parks too. It's, it's, you know, yep. you can identify those, those products that are, that are always going to be needed, parking, affordable housing, you know, things like that. And that they're not making more of generally. Yep. Uh, there's not really anything for it to do, but become more valuable. That's right. And so I think both of those are, are kind of that way. So Awesome. Well, let's, uh, you know, uh, just really quickly, we, we talked about the market, um, you know, debt and the capital markets have, have shifted a lot. Um, can you touch really quickly on how that's maybe, has that affected your ability to go out and acquire assets? Has it made you have to underwrite things differently? You, you, you kind of touched on earlier and you're not necessarily always competing with, um, these people, but certain buyers have different debt right they're they're just maybe they're just trying to you know put insurance uh company money to play or they're or they're just really just trying to have all of this money that's available and they're just trying to like you know get a a couple percent return right be you know stay up with what normal inflation is well you know we're looking we're smaller investors we're looking at things a little bit differently we're using different debt we're using you know uh, banks and and things like that. And so that debt looks different. So it's hard to be competitive. So how have you been able to navigate that in, you know, this kind of market of debt that's just just been challenging?
1: That's a great question. I mean, you know, first and foremost, I don't have a crystal ball. We're not speculative buyers. And so I don't know when rates are going to start going on the downward trajectory. I mean, they just went up again. There'll probably be two more increases before the end of the year. So I, I don't know when that peak is and I don't know when the trough is. I have no idea Um, When or how long that's going to take to happen. And so with that being said, you know, for us, the underlying fundamentals have not changed as far as when we look at an asset, what does it have to do for us? I mean, what does it have to provide for us and our investors? It's it's, we've got to have some way to arbitrage, you know, what we're buying it for and going in cap rate or what we can turn that cap rate into in the short term, you know, 12, 18, 24 months. And, you know, just take a look at what debt we're about to put in place and, you know, how does that play out? Can we make the deal pencil out or can we not? And I found that, you know, it, it has been more challenge, quite a bit more challenging. You know, a lot of seller expectations haven't really changed as much. I think they're starting to. I'm starting to see some, some, some price expectations uh, um, trend downward a little bit or, or lower than maybe what they were six months ago. But even then... Um, I think a lot of folks, uh, and I get it, are kind of stuck in their mind of what they maybe could have got back in, uh, you know, 2021 for their property uh, when when rates are mm-hmm. you know, half of what they are today, if not more. And so, Absolutely. again, I, I think just going back yeah. to the point of like the fundamentals have never changed for us. They will not change for us. And so if we can't get a deal to pencil out, um, we're not going to, you know. Hope and wish and pray on a star that you know in year three of the pro forma that rates are going to go back down, we can refinance do a cash out and rates are going to be five percent and we're going to be able to get a seventy percent loan and give seventy percent of the capital back to our investors like that's that's not how we roll and so if we can't right. look at the worst case scenario and put that stress test in place with where the rates are today and assume they might not come back down that much in the next three years, does that work for us or does it not and and if what price does it work at that's our offer and you know, if we lose it, we lose it. And, uh, if it's meant to be, it'll circle back around. So we just bought a, yeah. co- a parking garage in downtown, um, Phoenix, Arizona, about two months, two, two and a half months ago, we started working that deal last July, July of uh, 2022. And, um, we made our offer back then was, um, again, world very different. No, oh, actually we started working at like May of last year. Um, July is when the capital market started, started getting a little funky. Um, but we, our, our offer was, um, it was like twenty seven point eight million dollars um, for the for this asset, phenomenal asset, best location downtown Phoenix, and um, we got beat out. We uh, we made the final best, and we got beat out, and hadn't heard anything else about it. Uh, October came around, um, the buyer couldn't execute. You know, the markets had changed even more. He had capital calls with some other deals. Long story short, he couldn't execute. He couldn't buy. The owner of it was an institutional owner. They had they had a debt maturity coming up. Like a lot are happening right now. Um, they
0: mm-hmm. had their backs yep. against
1: the wall. Um, their fund had already sunset that they owned this in and they needed to unload it. And um, and so long story short, we didn't we didn't close on it until um I think it was May of May of this year. So I mean we started back at it in October of last year, again, 27.8 million, I think is what our offer was. When it was all said and done. When it was all said and done, when we finally closed on this, we bought it for after all seller credits and all that, like a net purchase price of 15.4 million dollars
0: <laughs> wow what a huge difference yeah yeah difference. and so that's the flip side of this whole thing again there's a flip side to each to all of these right the flip side to your you know going through everything in there in 2008 um you know and losing everything is is look what you're doing now right the flip side to um you know some challenging capital markets uh you know right now is that there are people that you know and you don't want to take advantage of someone, but the the bottom line is, is that they put themselves in a spot probably with, if you have bridge debt or you have, you know, commercial loans work differently, right? There's people that have, you know, rates that have adjusted or that mm-hmm. loans that are coming to you and they have to sell. And so you're, you're providing a solution to them. They're going to have to sell. So that's an opportunity that is being created by, by kind of the volatility in the market.
1: Yep, exactly. And so I, I, again, I, I, back to the case in point of like, just the, you know, if we'd have honestly where the rates were back when we started that deal last year, if we could have closed on it in a reasonable time frame before the capital markets went haywire, then we could have still made sense of it. I mean, cause we, right. the debt we put at, on it this at time around
0: dollars or something like that. Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, because the debt, the debt we have on it now, literally it's, uh, I think our rate's 8%, 25. I mean, like it's nowhere near as attractive, uh, Low L, right. much lower LTV yeah. as, as you know, it would have been more than half um, uh, rate wise, at least, uh, and, and much better term yeah. overall last year. And we still could have, it, it would have penciled out for us. So anyway, just the fundamentals haven't changed. I would say that you know, if you're, if you be true to yourself, when you're underwriting something, you like make sure that it works for you and your investors. And other than that, it doesn't like, forget about it. Like you put your best foot forward. Um, and if that best foot doesn't work, move on to the next one. Cause there'll be another one that comes your way that, that makes sense. And if the one that you missed out on was meant to be, then it will circle back around. It's, uh, and and I think that's, and it's important of also making a lot of offers. Literally, you know, try to make as many offers as possible, not just for the sake of the exercise of making offers, but on assets that you truly would love to own or would like to own, you know, make offers because the more offers you make, the better chance that you have of one of those actually either getting accepted or if it doesn't of it coming back around another time.
0: Absolutely. Yep. Yep. It could always come back around. And, and I think also, you know, really honing in, like knowing your criteria, and what it is you're looking for is, is key to being able to stay true to that. Right. And not, and not waver just that's because right. the market is, is doing something. So you're, you're protecting yourself by doing that, but it also allows you to pass your play a lot quicker and not spend a lot of time on something that's not going to work. So that's uh, right. Just really honing in and what it is you're looking for is important. So, um, well, great. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. Uh, cause I've, I've already given you, uh, you've already given us a, you know, so much of your time, which I appreciate. Um, you do have a podcast of your, your own that, uh, the real estate investing cash flow podcast, right? And then you also have a book that I think just came out. Um, why don't you just real quick t- touch on those so people can, you know, you, you're putting your knowledge out there, which is awesome and, and appreciate. Yeah. Um, so talk about those really quick so people can get those resources.
1: Yeah, so my primary podcast is called Real Estate Investing for Cash Flow. Um, been doing it now for for ten years, which is uh, crazy to think, um, but it's been out there for for ten years now, and uh, it's a commercial real estate investing podcast. I'd say it's probably the first commercial real estate investing podcast. Now there's many other ones out there, but. Uh, we hit on, you know, I interview folks uh, and we hit on um, um, asset, you know, many different asset classes. I bring on experts and operators that specialize in different niches, uh, you know, mobile home parks, multifamily, self-storage, office, retail, industrial, what have you. Uh, so hundreds of episodes out there that you can go, you can go track down and listen to. Um, and then, you know, as far as the book, yeah, I released the book uh, about a year ago. And so it's the one that you see behind me. It's called The Cash Flow Investor here. And really it's, um, it's a, it's a. Uh, compilation of, of both lessons learned throughout my own, own career. Again, been doing this 20 plus years, went through a pretty severe cycle in 2008. I've owned just about every different type of asset class there is. Um, I've had many mentors over the years. Uh, and so lots of lessons there that I share in the book. But then on top of that, uh, of the you know the hundreds of interviews that I've done since the 10 years I've been doing the podcast, I've met some just absolutely incredibly impressive, sophisticated folks that I've interviewed over the years. And I I've I've gleaned, you know, golden nuggets along the way that we've in, implemented into our very own business. And so I share a lot of those in that book as well. And again, it's just um kind of a, a culmination of of everything that I've learned put into the book. I also go into some detail with, you know, my favorite commercial asset classes, mobile home park and parking, or two of them, but there's a couple other ones in there as well that we didn't even talk about here today. So, um, and you'll know, bet I'd love to give a free copy. If, if you don't, I got a, a landing page that they can go to. You just have to pay for shipping. I think it's like $6.99 or something like that, but you can get a free physical copy of it. If you go to, um, kevinbup.com forward slash free book. And again, you'll get a, a free physical copy sent to your, sent right to your, your home address. And, um, I hope you enjoy the read.
0: Awesome. Hey, I appreciate that. You know, I'm going to be, as soon as we're done here, I'm going to jump on and do that myself so I can uh, <laughs> dive into that. I appreciate you you offering that and I'll make sure that we include that link in everything that we put out. There awesome. Again. So awesome. Well, before we let you go, if people want to, because you're obviously, obvi- you're, you're looking at deals, you also obviously need to fund those deals. So uh, you do have potential investment opportunities. Uh, so mm-hmm. anybody that would like to connect with you about um, investment opportunities or find more out about um, you, you know what you're doing in your business, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Yeah, the best place to go is uh, investwithsunrise.com. Uh, again, that's investwithsunrise.com and they can see the you know, current investment opportunities we have, any future ones that are coming down the pike, uh, get links to my podcast and just a- everything else that we have uh, happening uh, within our business, but then also a lot of other resources as well there uh, on that page.
0: Awesome. Well, Kevin, thanks again for being on the show. Really appreciate you sharing about your journey and, and about some pretty cool uh, different asset classes that are that are out there. You definitely got my mind spinning on a couple of these <laughs> things. So uh, it, it's exciting. It's cool. There's opportunity out there. And um, again, I appreciate you being on the show.
1: Oh, thanks for having me, Ben. It's been been a lot of fun. I appreciate you putting on the show. I know how much hard work it is uh, doing these podcasts. So I appreciate yes, all you do. Yeah, yes, it is. <laughs> but yeah, we
0: appreciate you putting it out there too. It's uh, it's great to be able to share from experience and help other people. Uh, Uh, you know, get out there and and make some things happen. So thanks again for being on the show. All right. Take care, man.